if you were born, uh, I don't know, 1990 or later, you really missed out on a difficult experience that all of us who were born before that dealt with. What I'm talking about is this. The phone would ring, and you'd have no idea who was waiting there on the other line. I know for those of you who are like maybe 25, maybe even 30 and younger, you always grew up with caller ID, being able to know who was calling you. But there was an era, you know, back in the Dark Ages with King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, where we did not know who was on the phone. And so you'd have to decide, do I actually want to answer it? Or do I want to screen it and let it go to voicemail and listen to the message before you picked up? I can remember going to my buddy Jason's house. His family had caller ID and it was just mind blowing. I said, you can look right there and see who's calling you on the phone. It was just a crazy thing. And now all of us, we screen our calls. For me, it's always so much fun when I see somebody I know across a, an event or across the square downtown and I call them and they pull their phone out and I know they have my number and they go, nope, and put it back in the pocket. I go, I saw you. I saw you ignore me. Like, I saw you do that. You know, one of the things that's been fun for me as a pastor is recognizing that, that people get a little bit scared when I call them. A few years ago, there was a guy in our community group, and, and I just wanted to have breakfast with him. I just wanted to get to know him better. And so I called him and left, left a voicemail, and I said, hey, I, let's, go, let's go to breakfast this week. I want to just hang out. And he asked his wife, am I in trouble? What did I do? Why does he want to eat with me? Why does he want to hang out? And she's like, he probably just wants to get to know you better. But he was so scared. Earlier this fall, I, I called called somebody to ask for some help with him. We were, we were doing the church, and I called, and his wife answered and she gave him the phone. He goes, am I in trouble, pastor? I said, no, no, you're not in trouble. You're not in trouble. This is just the, the problem I have. Whenever I call you, you think you did something bad. But I've received calls myself or, or gotten a voicemail or got a text message. And I just, I was, I was bewildered. Why are they calling me? Why do they want to talk to me? What's this about? Somebody asked for a meeting. What do they want to say? And the reason that I bring up all of those moments is that today we're going to look at a story where somebody got a visitor and a message that completely caught them off guard. They got a, an, a truth handed to them that completely took them by surprise. And I think in their surprise, their bewilderment, we're going to find some of ourselves and something God has to say to us today. We're in a series, if you're joining us for the first time, called A Weary World Rejoices. The series is inspired by a line in the famous Christmas hymn, O Holy Night. And this year, a lot of us can relate to this phrase, a weary world, because we feel weary because of all we've gone through in 2020. But what we're discovering in this series is that in the midst of our weariness and in the midst of the weariness of the people who lived through what we call the Christmas story, there is incredible reason to rejoice. They were in the midst of a difficult time too, and because of Jesus Christ's coming, they found a reason to rejoice. And our prayer is that in the midst of our weariness, our weary world would rejoice too. So if you have your Bible today, I'd encourage you to open it up or turn it on 
and head to Luke chapter 1. If you're new to the Bible, Luke is the 41st book in the Bible. It's, it's very near the back. You can talk about my bookmark there. And Luke was written by somebody who wasn't there for the events that are described in the book. No, Luke was a doctor, and he meticulously researched his account of the life and teaching of Jesus. He wrote this biography so that his friend Theophilus would know who Jesus was and why Jesus came. And in Luke 21, 26 to 38, we read the account of Mary, the mother of Jesus, learning how she would become the one who carried Christ into this world. I'm going to be reading from the Christian Standard Bible if you want to follow along. It says this, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. But Mary was deeply troubled by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. And the angel told her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will have no end. Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? And the angel replied to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And consider your relative, Elizabeth, who we talked about last week. Even she has conceived a son in her old age and is in the sixth month for her who was called childless. For nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this story that we turn to this time of year every year. And we pray that today you would open our hearts, you'd open our eyes to see with a fresh perspective what it is that you want to teach us through Mary's story, through her experience up until this point, and through her response. We pray that you would speak to us as powerfully as you spoke to her. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, in this series, we mentioned last week in the introduction that we're looking at these stories of people who had an encounter with an angel, and and we're pulling from them a consistent pattern. It's not a pattern that that we import. It's the pattern that's that's right there in the text. And that pattern is this, that that these people, last week it was Zechariah, this week it's Mary, they get a message from an angel. Last week, Zechariah heard, your prayer has been heard. This week, Mary heard, don't be afraid, you have found favor with God. 
And we're looking at that message and trying to discover what was in the heart of that person. What were they praying? What were they burdened by? And what did that prayer indicate were concerns for them? And, and how in our lives are our prayers indications of the concerns we're carrying? And how do those point us to the message God is trying to tell us? You know that the angel brought a message to Mary. And if you're f- taking notes at home, you can fill in this blank. That the, the message the angel sent to Mary was, you found favor with God. It's actually a repeated message. When, when the angel first says to Mary, you know, he, he greets her, says, you know, you favored one, you who is highly favored. And then he follows up when she's surprised by the greeting to say again, you found favor with God. Twice the angel talks about the favor that Mary has. And I want to share with you two reflections about the And in the day of Mary, that, 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 pursuit of finding favor with God. It motivated people to give at the temple. It motivated people to give sacrifices. It it motivated people to follow the law. In other places, it motivated other religious acts. And they were going through those motions trying to say, hey, am I okay with God? Do I have God's favor? And if you've ever been worried or concerned about where you stand with God, if you've ever been worried or concerned with finding favor with God, if you've ever worked and pursued and strived for favor with God, what you know is this, that finding favor is wearying. Whether it's with God or another person, so often the weariness we feel is we're trying to earn and achieve something. We called this, this series A Weary World Rejoices, but 700 years before Jesus was born, these words are recorded in Isaiah chapter 7, where the prophet Isaiah says, Hear this, O house of David. Is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Zechariah, sorry, Isaiah was describing the fact that the people even then were wearying out of a pursuit of finding favor with God. And the times have changed from 700 years before Jesus till now, 2,700 years later. But we still have our own methods and means of pursuing favor with God. Today, for us, it looks like things like, you know, career success, climbing a ladder, you know, trying to take the right medicines to find the right level of health, religious practices. We try to find popularity, whether it's through money or politics or power. We try to earn salvation, earn favor with God, find some level of security where we can find peace. And in the the life of Mary, when she hears this message, you are highly favored by God, it would have been a surprise to her because she did not view herself as the kind of person who got a visit from an angel, much less the kind of person who was favored from God. 
Kent Hughes is a writer who's written about the life of Mary, and he talks about what someone like Mary would have experienced in the first century, what she would have had to look forward to, what would have been in her frame of mind. And when it came to her life, when it came to the favor of God, I think we'll be surprised with what we hear. Here's what Kent Hughes says. He says, from all indicators, Mary's life would not be extraordinary. She would marry humbly, give birth to numerous poor children, never travel farther than a few miles from home, and one day die like thousands of others before her, a nobody in a nothing town in the middle of nowhere. Now, if you're saying, Scott, that seems a little bit harsh, that seems a little bit dark, that's because for so many of us, it's hard for us to comprehend a world that is not enamored by fame, popularity, um, achieving the admiration of other people. We live in a world where for many people, their greatest fear is that they die and they've not achieved some level of status and success. And for many people, over thousands of years, they've lived extremely ordinary lives. They've died without a a hashtag on Twitter, without millions of people mourning them, without a, a large collection of flowers and pictures and candles. See, for Mary, she saw herself as a very ordinary person. And so when the angel comes to tell her, that she is going to carry the Messiah of her people, she is completely shocked. When the angel says, you are highly favored by God, you have found favor with God, it is completely surprising and it blows her away. But what's interesting is this, that Mary is shocked when the angel visits and says, you know what? God knows your name. Because Mary didn't think that God was even aware of her, concerned with her, you know, uh, enamored with her at all. And yet what she hears is that she's highly favored by God. The word that's used there in the text for favor is this word right here. I'm going to practice my Greek here and probably butcher it. Kakeritomeneo. And it means to find favor. This word right here is the word for favor. And there's a root in that word, kerito, that is similar to and is the root of a word we all know well, the word grace. The word grace is the word charis in Greek. It's the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in Ephesians 1.6 where he says, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one, Jesus So when God says to Mary that she has found favor with him, he's saying that she is the recipient of his grace. That he has bestowed upon her his grace. And to Mary, that is completely bewildering and surprising. It shocks her. She doesn't see it coming. In fact, Mary has found, to her surprise, what everyone is looking for. And yet she got it the exact same way you can and the exact same way I can. 
So the first observation I want to make for you is that what Mary has found in God's favor and grace is what everyone is looking for. Here's the second observation. That many of us have forgotten the favor that God has already given us. Many of us, including you, have forgotten and lost sight of the favor that God has shown us. And for many of you right now, you may find yourself as bewildered and surprised as Mary did by what I'm about to tell you. And to tell it to you, I'm going to take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the introduction to a letter written by the Apostle Paul. Here's what he says. Brothers and sisters, consider your calling. Not many of you were wise from a human perspective, not many powerful, not many of noble birth. Indeed, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise, and God has chosen what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God has chosen what is insignificant and despised in the world, what is viewed as nothing, to bring to nothing what is viewed as something, so that none may boast in his presence. It is from him that you are in Christ Jesus, who became the wisdom of God for us, our righteousness, our sanctification, and our redemption. Have you thought in a while about who you were and where you were when you first experienced the grace and favor of God? Have you thought about where you might be if your life didn't run headlong into the good news of Jesus? Have you sat down in a while and imagined what your life would be like if you had not experienced the unconditional love of God? If you haven't, I would encourage you to do so today. Because I think what you will discover is that it's hard to tell the story of your life without the grace and favor of God. It's hard to tell the story of how you got here today apart from the unmerited, undeserved, freely given grace of God in your life. Have you thought about where you could have ended up? Have you thought about what could have happened? Have you thought about where you might be if it wasn't for the favor of God? See, I think a lot of us have forgotten the grace of God. And so when we hear that we are favored by God, when we hear that God has given us his grace, we ought to be as surprised as Mary was because we know we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We didn't do anything in our own power that makes us worthy of it. And for many of us, we've forgotten the overwhelming mind-altering, perspective-bursting grace of God. And we've forgotten it in such a way that it's allowed us to go on in life forgetting who we really are. I mentioned a little bit about the era that I grew up in. I grew up before some of these modern pieces of technology were available. And I can remember one night going to a Blockbuster store and finding the VHS for a movie 
called Hook. Hook. Famous movie starring Dustin Hoffman as that pirate and the late Robin Williams as Peter Pan. If you've ever seen the movie Hook, then you know that Robin Williams, who is called Peter Banning in the movie, has forgotten the fact that he is Peter Pan. He's grown up. He's left Neverland behind. He is a successful, in-demand investment banker type who's always on his phone and really just tolerated and annoyed by his family. But when his children are kidnapped by Captain Hook, Peter Banning, Robin Williams, has to return to Neverland and he begins an epic journey to rediscover who he is. Rufio, this guy right here with the awesome hair, has taken the place of Peter Pan and he's not prepared to give that up easily. The movie's been out for... uh, you know, well, it was last century when the movie came out. So I think I can do some spoiler alerts here for you. But throughout the movie, Peter begins to rediscover who he is. And he, in fact, reclaims his identity by the end of the movie as a much taller, much older Peter Pan. And that rediscovery comes with a tremendous amount of joy and wonder. And there's this amazing scene in the movie where the lost boys, these boys that are surrounding him, help Peter rediscover who he is. And one of the phrases that's repeated all throughout the movie is, Peter, you have forgotten. Peter, you have forgotten. Peter, you have forgotten. And yet along the way, those around him help him rediscover what he has forgotten and he reclaims his identity. Here's my question for you. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten the grace that God has extended to you? Have you forgotten just how much favor God has shown you? Have you forgotten the grace that Jesus makes available for you? And have you forgotten the fact that God knows your name? For me, as I was reading through this story this year, it hit me again. The God that is the reason everything exists. The God that is the reason that this planet sits at the perfect angle and the perfect distance from the sun. The reason that I can enjoy all of creation. The reason that all of creation exists. He knows Mary's name. And he knows my name too. And I had honestly lost a little bit of my wonder over that. And by reading this story and Mary's marveling at having the favor of God, I began to rediscover it. I mentioned that there's the message in this story. There's also a prayer, I think, that's reflected here. And that prayer is this. God, why are you so interested in me? When Mary says, what kind of greeting is this? When she's perplexed by the visit of the angel and the favor of God, I think what she's saying is, God, why are you so interested in me? Somebody who wasn't born somewhere interesting, who's not going to live a life that's very interesting, who isn't around the interesting things that are happening in this world. And for many of us, when you hear that you have the favor 
of God and that God knows your name. You go, Scott, why would God be so interested in me? I want to talk to you about two things that relate to that, that insecurity. And here's the first one. God's interest in us and his plan for us can be disturbing. God's interest in us and God's plan for us can be disturbing. When the angel tells Mary that yes, she is going to be a mother, but not the mother of the person she thought. Mary's unsettled. She begins to ask questions like, how could this be? I've not had sexual relations with a man. How could this be? I didn't see this coming. I, I wonder if in her head she was thinking, but I'm not really anybody special. I'm not really anybody who's worthy of taking that role. You see, all throughout the scriptures, when God puts the calling on somebody's life to do something significant, so often, like Mary, they don't see themselves as the kind of people to do things like that. Moses is called by God in the book of Exodus to lead the people about Israel. He goes, who am I? I'm a, I'm a stutterer. King David is the runt of his family, and yet he is the one who's picked to lead the people. Even some of the disciples were, were blown away that Jesus was interested in them, using them, having them follow him, and sending them out in his name. And yet what we see in the story of Mary is that God has a plan for us and a care for us that unsettles us and at times even disturbs us. You see, in Mary's story, she wasn't so surprised that the Messiah was coming. When, when she's told that the Messiah is going to come through her, she doesn't raise any questions about the Messiah. It isn't, oh my gosh, finally? You mean right now? You mean I'm going to live to see the Messiah? She doesn't say anything related to that. No, she was surprised that she would be his mother since she was a virgin. Her questions were not about her being there for the birth of the Messiah. Her questions were about, God, how are you going to do this? And if you were here last week, we talked about the story of Zechariah. And Zechariah, his story comes right before Mary's and Luke. But there is a distinct difference You see, in Zechariah's story, he doesn't say, hey, how is this going to happen? He raises the question of God's ability to make it happen. And we said last week that there is a huge difference between God, I don't understand how you will, and God, I don't think you can. There's a big difference. You see, this is genuine wrestling with God. This is is sinful doubting of God. This is curiosity. God, I I don't really understand. Can you explain this to me? I don't get it. This right here is cynicism. God, I don't think you can. Zechariah, who says this down here, he doesn't speak for 10 months. Mary right here, she gets an answer on how God is going to do it. And it shows the intentionality and the purpose that God has for Mary's life. And we don't know in totality how she saw herself before this, but I have to believe that upon hearing from the angel in Luke chapter 1, Mary was convinced that her life had tremendous purpose. And that's what I think you need to know too. 
Not only has God made his grace and favor available to you through his son, Jesus, but he also has tremendous purpose for your life. You may not realize it yet. You may not have a comprehension of all that it will include yet, but you are not an accident. You are a creation and an expression of God's purpose. Years ago, I worked at Starbucks. And right before I went to work for Starbucks, they had a campaign called, I forget what it was called, The Way I See It. And in The Way I See It campaign, they took quotes from famous people and put them on coffee cups. It was a really cool program, and it allowed me to discover awesome quotes and ideas that I'd never been exposed to before. But The Way You See It, number 92, was entitled, You Are Not an Accident. And it was pulled from Rick Warren's book, The Purpose Driven Life. And here's what it said on the side of a Starbucks coffee cup. You are not an accident. Your parents may not have planned you, but God did. He wanted you alive and he created you for a purpose. Focusing on yourself will never reveal your purpose. You were made by God and for God. And until you understand that, life will never make sense. Only in God do we discover our origin, our identity, our meaning, our purpose, our significance, and our destiny. If you go, Scott, that that sounds intimidating. That sounds overwhelming. That sounds like even a little bit disturbing that that big of a thing has to do with me. Well, that's exactly how Mary felt. When she got a sense of all that God wanted to do through her life, it felt overwhelming. But here's the second observation I want to make here. That God's interest and his plan for us, they're not about us. God's interest in us and his plan for us are not about us. The way that you navigate the overwhelming feeling you get when you realize that God has a purpose for your life, is remembering that that purpose isn't about you. The purpose for Mary wasn't about Mary. It was about the one she would carry named Jesus. Now, the word Jesus is actually a Greek word. It's the Greek version of a Hebrew word. It's the word Joshua, and it means the Lord saves. And this is what the angel told Mary was the purpose of her carrying Jesus and what he would do. Gabriel said, Jesus, he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And his kingdom will have no end. See, there is a plan there for God to accomplish through Jesus. And it has five parts. The first part is that Jesus would be great, that he would be significant. And we know this today, 2,000 years later, it is impossible to tell the story of history without Jesus. Even if you're here today or you know someone today that you're going to share this with, it is impossible to tell the story of at least Western civilization without Jesus Even before we had social media and and influencers and famous people online, the name of Jesus was great. And Gabriel foretold that. He will be great. 
He will be called the son of the most high. In the day of Jesus, if you were called the son of something, what that meant was that you were the exact replica. Not just that you reminded somebody of something, but that you were the embodiment of this. And so Gabriel is saying that Jesus is going to be the son of the most high, that he is going to be the embodiment, the totality of who God is. That he will sit on the throne of his father, David, Hundreds of years before Jesus was born, a prophecy was given that the descendant of King David would come as the Messiah and sit on his throne. In fact, Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, who's betrothed to Mary, who we'll learn about later in this series, Joseph is a descendant of King David, and that's how this prophecy comes to fruition. Number four, Jesus will reign over the house of Jacob forever. That in coming, he was beginning something that would last and last and last. And in a similar way, his kingdom will never end. Mary had to be overwhelmed when she recognized all that Jesus would do and that that purpose and act and work in the world, it was going to involve her. It was going to work through her that God was going to come into the world and that she was going to play a role in making that happen. In his gospel, the writer John, who was likely Jesus' closest friend on earth, his closest follower, he said this, The word, which is his phrase for Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Mary was going to carry God in flesh. God was going to take on our bodies, a body like ours, and live and walk among us. And that was the purpose. Yeah, it involved Mary, but it wasn't about Mary. And I just want to remind you that God has a purpose for you, but it's not about you. It's about him working through you for something bigger and larger still. See, so often insecurity can be a refusal to trust what God says about us. And one of the things that Mary had to wrestle with that some of you have wrestled with for a long time is believing that what God says about you is true. That can be a, a part of what insecurity is. It's, it's going, do I actually believe what God says about me? Do I believe that I am favored, that I actually have his grace, that he actually knows my name, that he's actually interested in me? That's part of insecurity. But insecurity can also be a refusal to embrace the fact that God's plan is not about us. And sometimes insecurity manifests itself as pride manifests itself as, you know what? It should be about me. <laughs> you know what? It is about me. Pride in some places is a form of insecurity. And, and you need to know that God has a plan for you. But the beautiful thing, the reason why that plan shouldn't overwhelm you <laughs> or disturb you is that it's not about you. And until you understand that God has a plan for you, but it's not about you. I think you will continue. I know I wrestle with, in those times and places, insecurity too. So many of us, 
when we think about a moment like this or a story like this or a message like this, it's like, yeah, but I don't really understand, God, what you're doing. Yeah, you say that you know my name. You say that you have a plan for me. But right now, it doesn't make sense. And when Mary heard the message from the angel and she heard and recognized all that God had for her, I don't think she fully understood how it was going to all work. There's a famous song and there's a famous debate about this. The song is called, Mary, Did You Know? And the song repeats all these questions about, did you know this would happen with Jesus? And did you know this would happen with Jesus? And there's some people who land on the side of Mary had no clue. And some people said, you know what? Mary did know. She did have an idea. And, and wherever you fall on that discussion and whatever the truth is in the midst of that, my conviction is, is that she, she couldn't have understood fully everything it was going to mean. And she certainly didn't fully understand how it was going to all work out. But you know what Mary did with that concern of, I don't really understand what you're doing, God? She trusted and followed. She trusted and she followed. We read in Luke one thirty-eight, she says, See, I am the Lord's servant. May it happen to me as you've said. Mary couldn't have known fully everything that this would mean for her. But she says, I'm the Lord's servant. May it happen just as you said it. And right now, my sense is, a lot of us have no idea what God's doing. Maybe for you this year does not make any sense. Maybe this season and part of your life, you're just struggling to understand. And you're like, God, what are you doing? God, I don't get this. This doesn't make any sense. God, this is hard. God, I, I, I don't understand. And my question for you is in the midst of that, can you say the same thing? God, I'm your servant. God, may it be to me, just as you've said. See, what Mary did right here is she didn't fully understand everything, but she still said yes to God. My question for you is, have you done that too? Have you said yes to Jesus? Not understanding, not comprehending, not certain how it's all going to work. Have you said yes? Years ago, I heard uh, author, pastor David Platt give a message where he talked about putting your yes on the table before God. And he said, to really follow Jesus, there comes a moment for all of us where we're invited to hand Jesus a blank check and to write a blank check with our lives where we put our yes on the table and we let Jesus fill out the time and the place and the destination and the details where we say, I don't know what you're going to do, Jesus. This doesn't make sense. But for whatever you see fit, here's my yes. And that's what Mary did. A young girl, 13, 14 years old, 
gets told that she's going to carry the Messiah, who's going to sit on the throne of David, whose kingdom is never going to end. And she says, okay, yes, I'll do it. I'll believe that I'm highly favored and I'll embrace the plan you have for me, whether I understand it or not. And I wonder if that's the invitation that's in front of all of us today. In a year like this and a moment like this, to hand our yes over to Jesus and say, however and wherever and whatever you see fit, you have my yes. I want to help you take steps with this message like we do every week. And so here are three next steps I would encourage you to reflect on and take today. Here's the first one. Accept God's grace in your life or rediscover the wonder of it. If you're watching today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus, today is as good a day as there is. And the message of Christmas is that God has come into the world to be born, live, and die so that you can have favor with God, so that you can be reconciled to God, and so that grace can be there to forgive all your sins and make you new. And if you've never accepted that grace, that's what Christmas is all about. But if you have, I would encourage you to spend time this season rediscovering the wonder of it. To rediscover the wonder of the favor of God and the grace of God and to go back and recognize just how much you've been given. If you've forgotten, today is a great time to rediscover. Number two. This week, every time you write or type or see your name, I want you to repeat these words, God knows my name. So when you log in to your online bank account and you see your name right there, when you pull your mail out, most of it's junk. Thank God the political stuff is over, but you're seeing your name in your mail or you see your name on an email and you read those words. I want you to remember these words, God knows my name. And pause long enough for that wonder to wash over you. And then number three, put your yes on the table before God. I wouldn't encourage you to actually write a blank check. (laughs) That may not be the wisest thing to do. But metaphorically, I'd encourage you to write that blank check to put your yes before God and say, God, I have trusted you to forgive my sins and to live with you eternally. But between now and then, here's my yes. Wherever, however, whenever, whatever. Like Mary, I'm your servant. And may it be to me as you've said. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Mary's story. She's not a perfect person. She's, she's not God. But what you show us through her actions is a reminder of how you are calling us to live. Maybe in the midst of our insecurity, our questions, our, our concerns, our lack of understanding, there are places we could get tripped up, distracted, and off course. So today, We pray that you would show us the favor and grace you've given us. We pray that you would show us 
all that you have for us. We believe that there is a plan you have for our lives and that you did not create us on accident. And so wherever it is that you have us on life's journey, Jesus, we pray that we would believe everything you have said about us. And we pray that we would have the strength and the grace to trust you, put our yes on the table, and follow wherever it is you lead us. We're weary from a hard year, but knowing that you know our name, knowing that you have a plan for us, knowing that you have come into the world so that we could have your grace and favor, that gives us reason to rejoice today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.